It's 8.30 in the evening on Thursday, the 15th of October. Thank you very much for joining me live here deep in the bowels of the Fat Cave. Yes, on a Thursday night, at least if you're, you know, in the eastern seaboard of Sydney, Australia. And, uh, you know, if you're somewhere else at some other time, then anything's up for grabs, isn't it, if you're watching later? Except, of course, the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister is always guaranteed to be a bit of an asshole, no matter how far into the future you watch. Take that as a given. Anywho, I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. You can hit me up on the website. Wait for it. Look at that. Now, this is the inaugural Auto Expert live stream to YouTube, and I do hope to Christ I've got the tech right, because, you know, frankly, what could go wrong? I could be just sitting here talking to myself for an hour. How uplifting. Although I am humbled by the chat already overflowing from you. So thank you very much for joining me. It's nice to be here not talking to myself, I must say, and there's plenty to talk about, but I should probably explain why I'm here doing this, and that would be because A, it's an opportunity to interact more authentically with you, I guess. And that's something you don't get the opportunity to do in a pre-recorded package that you might upload to YouTube. And uh, the other reason is, of course, that it can drag you away from inflicting yourself on those you love. And, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, demanding your life has become in this challenging year, this cock of a year, frankly... 2020 FO spray. It can solve just about anything or at least ameliorate it temporarily. No matter how confronting it's been, no matter how additional the responsibilities you face, you can extricate yourself from those you love by about 8.30pm, right? Kids are in bed, you know, they're watching some crap on television and you can detain yourself with whatever screwed into the television in the other room, you know, watching, interacting with me on YouTube and seeing how many times I get this wrong over the course of an hour. That could be quite uplifting. Now, it's also the opportunity to talk to you about things that I normally wouldn't cover in the traditional pre-recorded package sense, okay? Now, I've got these five news stories here that are somewhat interesting, as well as a bunch of questions and comments from you that I pre-selected earlier. And of course, I will do whatever I can to address the comments as they come through. But it, frankly, it's already a bit of a tsunami. And I'll just try and cherry pick stuff from that as uh, as we go. Here's one from Trail or Rail. He says, mate, solid question on the Triton you recommend. Is Mitsubishi really struggling with getting vehicles to sell at the moment, wanting to buy? However, they don't want to budge even three grand on a GLS. Yeah, the short version of that is, yeah, supply is a real problem in the market at the moment, and their waiting lists have stretched out for months and months for many vehicles. Triton is one of them. I remember when I bought my uh, Triton GSR just before the end of the financial year, I got one of the few GSRs that was remaining in the country, and the next slated deliveries were October at that stage. And there has been some easing of supply in some segments, but you know, there's plenty of vehicles waiting lists three months, something like that. The dealer is not necessarily bullshitting you when they say that. They could be manipulating you into not getting a discount using the high tech miracle of the friggin' truth. Let's not forget. 
You can use the truth to manipulate people if you're an epic bullshitter, as most car salesmen are. So there's that. So yeah, if they tell you there's a delay, probably the truth in many cases. Um, Matty D says, what size head have you got, John? That's an interesting question, Matty. I, I think we'll let others judge on that. You might like to talk to people who know me. It's a huge, normal size head, fairly inflated oftentimes, so metaphorically. So there's that. Anthony Annapolis says, John, will the Kia Stinger have the new waterfall dash? That, that's a Hyundai thing. They're so different after all, let's face it. Um, no idea about that, but pro tip to the Hyundai International Comms guys, the product has evolved to the point where it's quite competitive and independently elegant, well-equipped, all of that stuff. And you'd think that this would be a trigger to ratchet back the embellishment in the press kit, but au contraire, they're just winding it up out of all proportion. Andy Burnett says, hi, John, what's your view on touchscreens in modern cars for in-cabin controls over traditional buttons? Most tablets fail after a few years. I'm favouring buttons. I'm a kind of old school ergonomics dude, you know, like even back when I had hair, I was like this. The thing about buttons is haptic feedback, okay? Haptic feedback is you touch a button and you press it and there's absolutely no frigging doubt that you've touched the button because you can tell if you've missed and you're on the surrounding control panel. And then when you press it, there is that haptic feedback, that button pressed, missiles away, firing solution, all of that stuff, okay? With a touchscreen, you have to take your eyes off whatever you're doing and physically look at the location where the button is on the display and then you have to touch it. And if you're really lucky, you've got a fairly expensive device that gives you some vibrational haptic feedback to simulate that kind of thing. But frankly, I'll take the button every time because in a high consequence environment, like when you're driving a car, physical buttons absolutely rock. At least that's my view. Ali Kartal says, greetings from Turkey. I'm a fan of yours. Since I discovered the channel about a year ago, I learned a lot and had a lot of laugh along the way. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you had a lot of laugh, Ali. And thank you for joining me all the way over there. It's probably, I don't know, the middle of the day in Turkey right about now. Um, Shane HM2 says, do you think manual transmissions still matter with heavy towing in a rugged terrain? I think automatics are better at just about everything. You know, modern automatics, particularly if they've got hill descent control built into the off-road functionality and those terrain-selectable modes where they really can tweak the uh, feedback response of the transmission, I think automatic's better at just about everything. I really do, uh, particularly off-road. The one caveat being, I guess, if you're in super extreme, slippery descent territory, then I'd still go for a really low-range manual gearbox for that kind of driving. But for just about everything else, autos rock, dude. Uh, where are we now? The comments are just coming through at a million miles an hour. Uh, LTR27 says, where do you see Subaru's position in the market going? I've always liked them, but Hyundai Kia seem to be catching them. Yeah, Subaru's an interesting case, isn't it? Because Subaru's got this sort of rusted-on fan base. You know, they really are rusted-on. If you've bought 
an XV 10 years ago and then you bought another XV, chances are you're going to go out and buy another XV without doing that sort of uh, evaluation of the market that everyone should do, no matter how rusted on you are to a brand. Subaru has a lot of people, for example, complaining about the demise of Liberty, which is almost a certainty with the advent of the new Outback. You know how Liberty and Outback are sort of flip sides of the same coin? Well, there's not going to be a liberty after this outback is released. That's pretty That's pretty uh, obvious, I think. And yet there are still these bolted-on liberty buyers who would buy liberties until the heat death of the universe. So there's that. And I also think Subaru did just about everything it could to piss people off with some of the product decisions it made. Like, for example... I really like Subaru LaVorg, but they gave it the stupidest name. It's Grovel, spelt backwards, you know, and it had some handling uh, peculiarities, let's say. At least the first one had some handling peculiarities, but really it was in an unbeatable position if only those dudes had called it the WRX Wagon. How hard is it? Especially as they made the other peculiar decision in about, 2015 to name the WRX or sorry not to name the WRX but to choose the platform as just a sedan if you're going to go with one or the other and previously it was both sedan and hatch you could have whatever you wanted but if you were going to go with one or the other wouldn't you go with the hatch like come on so there were these kinds of decisions and I also sense the hand of Toyota in deep in the bowels of Subaru, right? Because Toyota owns whatever it is, 20% or something of Subaru, and I don't know how much control the Toyota Death Star imposes from its sort of powerful but removed position, but I sense some of that. Toyota is the king of mediocrity, and they if they had any input, it didn't help, let's put it that way. But I'd like to see Subaru continue in the marketplace and at least stay where it is, which is like on the on the cusp of the bottom of the top 10 because it's a really good manufacturer in Australia for customer support. You know, reliability is okay with Subaru, but customer support truly is excellent. And this is one of the primary differentiators in the market between good car makers and bad car makers, in my view at least. Now, Tone. Ah, yes, Tone. I do have a soft spot for Tone because Tone is the brilliant, the brilliant originator of the term the She-Max. Yes, for the BT-50, the his and hers, the Isuzu D-Max for him and the She-Max for her. Yes. Tone says... Toyota has its hand up Subaru's ass? Question mark. Well, there you go. Metaphorically, that's how they that's how they roll. I don't know what goes on in the boardroom. Of course, anything's possible. Uh, let's see what else is happening. Stephen Gilbert says the whole world is made up from protons, neutrons, electrons, and morons. That's quite true, I guess. Even morons are made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons when you think about it. More negatively charged particles in morons, though. I, th I think you'd agree. So there's that. Leopoldo Ronga, and please do say hello to your parents, Mr. and Mrs. Ronga for me, Leopoldo, says, Hi, John. I'm from South Africa. Thoughts on the all-new Land Rover Discovery, the Disco 5. I still have a Disco 4, 120,000 kilometres. I'm terribly sorry to hear that, Leopoldo. Nobody deserves that, son. Anyway... 
still have a Disco 4 after 120,000 kilometres. Couldn't you just pay a sort of stern German woman to whip you rhythmically once a week? Would that not be cheaper? And, you know, the suffering would be slightly less, I know, but hey. Um, love it and it's never had problems. You've got that one, that one discovery. Okay, so my default position on this is Land Rover too has its bolted-on supporters and they love their Land Rovers and obviously reliability being the complex beast that it is. What happens with reliability is the vast majority of all cars are reliable and reliability does vary a little bit, you know, across the industry, but there are more happy campers than unhappy campers in just about every brand, right? So what really matters here is what reliability is like relative to other brands. And it's fairly clear that it's low relative to other brands with Land Rover. And the other thing, the other huge differentiator is support. And in Australia, Land Rover is renowned for being crap at customer support. And there's plenty of court cases you can uh, read, you know, the... Um, the Princess of Poshtovia, her name will come to me anyway. Her case was uh, is worth reading because, you know, Land Rover was forced to buy that uh, shitbox Range Rover back from them at like 160 grand or something. And then there was a subsequent case and costs were awarded and they had to be borne by Land Rover uh, on behalf of the plaintiff and also on behalf of the dealer. So this is a Range Rover that ended up costing Land Rover like 600 grand, but they fought tooth and nail not to pay that okay so if you're in that position where you're a rusted on fan and the reliability's poor and then they just throw you under the bus that's the risk and that's what I try and tell people who are enamored of Land Rover or Jeep or any of these other brands Mercedes-Benz is a classic as well everyone wants a Mercedes-Benz I want every AMG Mercedes-Benz that I have ever driven and baby I've driven heaps of them like that first E63 the one after the outgoing E55 that car was such a weapon and uh, I was working as a contractor for Mercedes-Benz at the time putting together the drive program in Adelaide for the media launch of that car and I friggin loved that car if I could have whipped one into the carry-on for the flight home baby it would have been with me and it would still be with me now you know but I've seen so many stories on how badly Mercedes-Benz, Australia Pacific, has treated owners of its product. And in my view, if you buy a Mercedes-Benz or a Range Rover or a Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT even, you deserve to be treated better than the buyer of a mainstream car. Because, hey, if I whip down to Dior and buy myself a Lady Dior handbag to go with my fishnets, then I'm going to expect glass of champagne when I buy it. But if some fixture or fitting breaks on my fine handbag, I want to front up without notice on their doorstep, darken the whole place up and say, this is terrible, what can you do? And I want them to say, terribly sorry, sir. That's awful. There's nothing we can do to stop this from happening. Obviously, this has happened and regrettable, but we're going to make this right. And then I want just a tsunami of right making. And I think I would get that at Dior or one of those premium fashion brands. Not that I lust after that handbag, really. But I think I'd get that treatment. And I think a woman would if she was the owner of a premium bag such as that. So what I want to know is, why don't you get treated like that if you are that customer? 
because to me, that just makes absolute sense for you to be treated in that way. Look, it's uh, we're about a quarter of the way into this live stream, slightly more than that, and I am absolutely blown away by uh, your involvement. The, co- the chat feed is just like... It's like a Beirut unload of chat. Yes, I do like that. GB Sailing says, can you confirm uh, this? I saw this earlier from GB Sailing, so we should get into this. I think this is beer garden physics of the exhaust gas composition. Yes, just the right sort of thing to ask me without notice and see whether I've been bullshitting to you for all these years. He says, uh, can you confirm that diesels produce oxides of nitrogen at low revs and soot at high revs or whether it's the other way round. I don't know why that has to be shouted, but he does say please. So, yeah, let's do that. I service every 10,000 Ks and do a turbo soak every 100. So that's probably a good idea. Servicing uh, more regularly is better than less, obviously, and turbochargers letting go because the oil gets cooked off. The other thing with diesels and other turbocharged cars, of course, is don't shut them down after you've just been driving them like you stole them. So, you know, if you've got your two-ton trailer out the back of your four-wheel drive and you've been, you know, your acoustically transparent shitter has been to Dingo Piss Creek and, you know, all of the highlights of the outback, then you're coming back, crossing the mountains, you get to the top, there's a lookout with a view. Don't just get to the top of the friggin' hill and shut the engine down because the turbo's been working its tits off. It's really, really hot down there. And then you turn the friggin' engine off and all of a sudden the turbo is like, not glowing red, but might as well be red, pretty damn hot, and the oil gets cooked. And if you do that over and over and over, then you really do interfere with the ability of the oil to flow through the turbo. And then before you know it, you're taking your acoustically transparent shitter on its next tour of the outback, and there's just a loud noise, and the turbo composes a letter to its solicitor. So that's kind of bad. Um, There's that sort of thing to remember, as well as the frequent servicing, all right? Now, on this issue of exhaust gas composition. You've got air, which is basically a mixture, a bit of a shandy of nitrogen gas, which is two molecules of nitrogen glommed onto each other. And then you've got oxygen gas, which is two atoms of oxygen glommed onto each other. I hope I said atoms before about the nitrogen. It's two atoms of nitrogen glommed onto each other, forming one molecule of nitrogen gas, obviously. Hashtag year 11 chemistry. And air is basically about 80% nitrogen and about 19% or something uh, oxygen. And then it's about one, less than 1% the rest. Okay. So overwhelmingly nitrogen and oxygen. And when you suck it into an engine, you've got your fuel and your fuel wants to react with the oxygen. Okay? But there's all this nitrogen there, and nitrogen's fairly inert. You know, you can fill up a um, you can fill up a big steel tank in an oil refinery full of nitrogen gas and weld inside it, and it reduces, eliminates the explosion risk, the fire risk, because without the oxygen, you can't have combustion. So that's nice. Uh, So with that in mind, right, the nitrogen is really just along for the ride and it doesn't want to participate in the combustion reaction, okay? So there's a couple of different ways you can make it uh, participate and the first way is to make that combustion too hot, okay? Because if it's too hot, 
then the whole reaction gets quite energetic and the oxygen and the nitrogen in the chamber can be forced to react with one another to create oxides of nitrogen, which they are not naturally predisposed to do. They don't do that out in the, on the desk if you burn a candle or something of that nature or you you know burn the incriminating evidence of what you've been doing with the boss's secretary before your wife gets home or something of that nature. So if it gets too hot, this can be from leaning out the mixture a little bit too much, you know, because that causes the temperatures to spike, or just leaning it out too much anyway means there's a, an excess of gas and not enough fuel to react, right, fully. And that means that there's a bit of energetic oxygen left over and it just wants to jump onto the nitrogen. And soot is the product of incomplete combustion. So if there's not enough oxygen, instead of getting fuel going to carbon dioxide and water, which is really what the combustion reaction is, then what you get is fuel going to a bit of carbon dioxide and water and a little bit of unburned fuel just turning into sort of shitful, greasy carbon. And that's what soot essentially is. And soot's really bad. Okay, oxides of nitrogen are bad for human health. Soot's really bad because it's exactly the wrong size. The particles are the wrong size. They get inside the human lung. They call them PM2.5s. And they're often coated with really evil residual hydrocarbon shit that causes cancer. So there's that. And obviously the countermeasure against oxides of nitrogen are things like exhaust gas recirculation, which tends to cool the mixture down in low throttle situations. And diesels do a lot of EGR for that reason. There's also a catalytic converter that catches oxides of nitrogen and uses the high-tech miracle of a cataclysmic cat cat reaction, cataclysmic reaction to pull it apart and turn it into nitrogen gas and oxygen gas again, which are completely benign because you're breathing them all the friggin' time. And the countermeasure for soot is obviously get the mixture right and catch any soot with a diesel particulate filter and then burn the shit out of it, so-called regeneration at times, so that that soot is not inflicted on the rest of the population, which is why I think there's a huge moral case for DPFs and uh, you should not delete them but there is also an imperative on car makers to R&D the crap out of the installation so that they can be reliable and certainly not present the kinds of problems that Toyota owners have had with the 2.8 litre engine in the Hilux, the Fortuna and the Prado for example. So I hope that's cleared that up GB and uh, thanks for the question buddy, I really do appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Optimus Primal says Straya. And it's very hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Uh, Dave Mann says So, when you're making your own, when are you making your own drive show? Best roads of Straya. Tourism. Talk about the car you're driving, just like you did with the Hyundai i30M at the Murrumbidgee River area. Well, here's the thing. You could do anything, couldn't you? You can do any show you want. You can make anything you want, provided you've got infinite time. And the problem I've got as a sort of one-man band video creator is everything's a zero-sum game. And I'm also running this business, getting uh, discount cars for people and answering questions. I mean, I spend a day and a half a week answering frigging questions I get by email, which is another reason I'm doing this, because there's such a thirst for Q&A in the automotive domain, I feel, at least. And certainly the comments feed seems to be supportive of that conclusion. So, you know, 
I'd love to have a production team and swan around, turn up in a helicopter and just get out and do the lines and then they can, I don't mean do the lines, I mean, you know, deliver the lines and then the production team can just shoot all the cutaways and all the overlay and then I can have an editor putting it all together, uh, clone and paste, repeat sort of thing. But I think that's fantasy land. And the thing about YouTube and this kind of interaction is you don't get that in the media, right? Like... If I was on Sunrise or the News or Today Tonight or A Current Affair and I've been on all those shows many times, then you don't get to interact with me like this. And I'm in a different box when I do that. I have to wear a friggin' suit, okay, for some of that stuff. And not only that, I have to sanitise what I say because of the box, you know. I can't interact with you exactly like this and tell you what I think without the filtration, which is absolutely what the brilliant... Uh, aspect of this medium is in my view because those other mediums you know you see a, a reporter on tv don't you he's standing there you know fred nurk seven news and you know that none of that crap that he's just said has any relationship to what he actually thinks you know i'd love to do the news like what we really think news you know nobody's doing that john stewart had a pretty good crack at that on the daily show anyway let's get back to the whole car thing because the chats are just out of control and i say that like it's a bad thing but it's not i really do appreciate your participation in the show and if i don't get to you it's because dude it's like we're taking fire here jesus forgetful duck says last time i watched tv was one was abc2 was channel 7 3 was 9 4 was channel 10 5 was sbs in other words years ago and yeah i get that like i've got this whole theory you know hypothesis that people don't actually do very much watching a free-to-air tv and if they do it's on in the background you know it just washes over you while you're having a domestic with the missus or the kids or something the kids are telling you you're an idiot and your missus is quite supportive of that conclusion generally and you know there's noise in the background and it's the tv and like i was on tv for 20 years right on all of those shows like sunrise and that and you hardly ever get recognised. You get recognised occasionally by a dead set car nut or, you know, just someone with a great um, memory for faces, you know. But the thing I notice is that since I've been doing YouTube and since my subscriber count one day just went out of control, people recognise me all the time. It's like, Jesus, I have to be on my best behaviour out in public. And I'm always wearing the uniform, you know, the stupid hat and the camouflage T-shirt and that stuff. But... Everyone comes up and they say, love your videos, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's absolutely humbling. It really is. Um, let's get back to the motoring thing. Gus R6 says, beer garden physics, how has the second law of thermodynamics affected? I think we're going to leave that one right there. That's a, bre- <laughs> That's a breach of the um, community guidelines for me to address that. But the second law of thermodynamics affects everything equally, I'd have to say, Gus. It just... Um, it just makes everything more random, dude. And, you know, it, it, it leaves us ultimately in a state of uh, a universe with less and less free energy every day, which ultimately comprises the heat death of the universe billions of years from now, which is not a cheery thought at all. And it's one of the reasons why I have the greatest difficulty in accepting the arguments for the existence of God, because if I were God, 
I wouldn't end it all that way. I just really wouldn't. I wouldn't end it in just a sort of soup of no free energy and nothing going on. I'd, I'd go out with a bang, buddy. I just would. It's one of the things I'm going to discuss with the big guy if I shuffle off and he wants to talk to me about all of these mischaracterizations I've made of him over the time that I've been live. Anywho, um, Ambrose Alarm says, VRX Outlander, Outlander 2007, any good Johnny? Who's this Johnny? I ask you, Johnny, Jesus. Uh, VRX Outlander 2007. Look, um, Outlander from 2007, not a bad bus from memory. You know, Mitsubishi was doing good work in the mid-first uh, decade of the 21st century. They really were. They're still doing some good work in a couple of niches. I like the Triton. I like the Pajero Sport. They're both, obviously, flip sides of the same platform, uh, the Pajero Sport's got the whole eight-speed transmission and coil-sprung rear for a bit of additional um, civility, but the rear end is somewhat challenging to look at, does take a bit of getting used to. You can't see it when you drive the car, of course. It's a nice, honest tow platform, really like the Super Select 2 transfer case as well if you're in the market for you know, a serious off-roader with heavy tow capacity. I think both the Pajero Sport and the Triton are good value propositions from a car maker that offers decent support and you know who knows about the future with that mob because they're about to get Renault Nissan blastoma aren't they and that's often fatal let's face it but you know there's hope for remission I guess um, we'll have to see what the future brings for Mitsubishi but the old ones um, you know 10 years 15 years old tend to be pretty good uh, in general Romulus uh, Romulus Saladar Mitsubishi make great missile components. <laughs> I see what you did there. Anywho. Um, okay, so there's a bit of chat still happening here. John Cadogan for PM. No, I don't want that job. What a, that, that is the worst job. The pay is shit. And you've got to, you've just got to eat it both ways, haven't you? If you're the PM, and you can never be right, you know, you're always an asshole. It, it pre-selects. I'm sure even if you're the nicest bloke on earth, and you become PM, like there's a glitch in the matrix, and you wake up tomorrow, and you're the PM. Within minutes, you'd just be an asshole, like every other PM always is. It's there's something intrinsic about this job. Now, I also want to address a couple of points here. Rajesh, Rajesh Gowda says to me, please could you talk about the recent Hyundai and Kia recalls due to fire damage? Yes, he's saying that, not me. There is this sort of default presumption among many of you. I know that I am somehow in the pocket of Hyundai and or Kia, but I emphatically declare that I am not, you know. This business about the fires, okay, it's a US thing. 591,000 vehicles in the US have been recalled for a brake fluid leak and they comprise 2013 to 2015 Kia Optimas, 2015 to, uh, 2014 to 2015 Santa Fe's and Sorrento's, right? And uh, the ABS hydraulic control unit can fail in some way and this could, in extreme situations, lead to a fire, but... As far as I know, the latest news report I read on this is that there have been no fires. It's just a risk. And like a lot of recalls, this sort of stuff gets blown out of all proportion because people don't want to assimilate the granular detail, all right? Recalls are about risk. They're not necessarily issued as a consequence 
of a whole bunch of fires. And certainly this recall of nearly 600,000 vehicles in the United States falls into that category, it seems to me. It's not the case here in Australia because obviously the United States market for both those brands is sufficiently large that they can make their own vehicles, all right? So if there's a manufacturing defect in the States, it doesn't necessarily affect vehicles that come out of South Korea, and that's where we get the majority of our Hyundais and Kias. In fact, I had a little bit of a look into the recall scenario here in Australia, land of the gods, living the dream. Hyundai has issued three recalls in Australia in 2020, and frankly, none of those were remarkable. Kia has issued four. Toyota has issued eight, in case you were interested. Mazda has issued three. Uh, Mitsubishi Motors Australia Limited has issued two. Subaru has issued one. Mercedes-Benz, the three-pronged suppository. Can you guess? 28. <laughs> kind of says it all, doesn't it, regarding product quality productsafety.gov.au if you'd like to search for recalls. One final piece of advice there, of course, if you buy a used car, okay, if you buy a used car, particularly if you buy it privately, make sure you let the car maker know that you are the new owner. There's usually a portal you can go to on the car maker website where you just fill in the VIN code and your acquisition date and then they will know who you are and if there is a recall down the track, they will be able to contact you about that and that's always kind of good because recalls in Australia only relate to serious safety defects in vehicles. And I must say that it's an honour system, but it's a system that works really, really well. The recall system, okay? It's a voluntary recall system. Manufacturers always take one for the team when they post a recall because it gets, you know, reported everywhere and the brand gets a little bit tarnished. But really what they're doing is they're getting on the front foot and they're putting public safety first. So... I actually find it very difficult to kick manufacturers in the slats for issuing a recall in a timely fashion. One of the things that's happening now, though, is that recalls can get issued. And because of COVID-19 and the availability of spare parts, and then there's a wharfy strike at the moment, Straya, right? And that is really impacting the delivery of spare parts in a timely fashion, as well as new cars. And just about everything else that you might order from overseas that's coming here on a boat, okay? So it can take a long time for these things to reach Australia. And if you get a safety recall notice, what I generally say to you, if it's going to be six weeks that you have to wait, then this is generally not a problem because the risk is often stratos often, it's generally stratospherically low, okay? It's like down there in the Marianas Trench, there haven't been any fires, but hey, we thought that we uncovered this problem in manufacturing and we've identified this batch that is potentially affected and we're going to fix it for you for free. Just bring it in in November and we'll have the part here for you. I wouldn't be getting my knickers in a twist over that, okay, because... That seems to me like a, a pretty honest, ethical way of doing business. And if you want to get worked up about something, I'd suggest, you know, there's plenty of other shit going on that you could get worked up about. At least that's how it seems to me. Now, I've got another couple of questions here, and I'm filleting these in real time. Uh, you'll have to apologise if there's a, if just there's the odd pause, because 
it's cognitively demanding, right? And uh, 35 minutes in, brain turning to mush. You don't even get a friggin' ad break in a YouTube live stream, at least on radio. You get four ad breaks in the news every hour, so you can... You know, have a bit of a sip of this or that, usually half a bottle of scotch over the course of six hours. That often makes for some fairly chilled, laid-back radio. But anyway, let's keep going with this. Kim Dillon says, I have a current 2016 Kia Sorento and love the brand, but want to downsize to a Sportage. However, I don't like the look of the current model. Next Sportage is due when. Have you seen facelift plans? Okay, that's kind of interesting. Deafening silence on the facelift of new Sportage, but I have done a pre-recorded package that you can find on my channel uh, on the new Tucson. Okay, now obviously styling will be completely different with the Sportage, but let's face it, Sorrento is Santa Fe beneath the skin and Tucson is Sportage. So although the look will be different with new Sportage, the platform will be the same. So a lot of these conclusions that can be drawn from the walk around on that pre-production model can be uh, cloned to informed speculation on new Sportage. And what I'd say there is probably full-size spare tyre, Strayer. They'll probably also make the styling kind of like baby Sorrento because these companies are all obsessed with the um, what they call design language, but they really mean styling and the attempt to keep it all in the family so that you can just look like that and go, ah, that's a Hyundai dude, or that's a Kia, or that's a Subaru, whatever. That's an Audi, that's a BMW. Audi, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, they all do a kick-ass job at that. And incidentally, the other thing they do is they make the old one look instantly shit whenever they launch a new model. And that's a real challenge because the old one, which now looks instantly shit, its job was to make its predecessor look instantly shit. So it's like... Instantly shit inception for the design team. And they got to keep raising the bar on the new one to lower the bar so emphatically for the one it replaces, even though the bar was raised so high. It's, it's, a, it's a perverse game, let's put it that way. So I hope that's, that's kind of helped. I can't tell you what the new Sportage will look at, but knock me down with a feather if it does not look like baby Sorrento and is not within millimetres of exactly the same size as new Tucson. So more legroom, all of that stuff. And obviously, Hyundai Motor Group, meaning Hyundai Kia, has gone to the uh, trouble, meaning they've devoted the resources, the logistics and the cost, to developing the new platform for new Tucson, the powertrain integration, all of that, uh, you know, CAN bus stuff, the computer architecture that runs the whole show. So their imperative would be to get that into, produ into production as quickly as they can because they've got to start making that dough back, right? So I'd be surprised if we didn't hear an announcement about the new Sportage soon. So I'd stick with the Sorrento I've got for the time being or look at the Tucson, which I understand is going to be introduced sort of later in the first half of 2021 and that probably means launch for the new Sportage in the second half of 2021 or early 2022 but what I would not do perhaps is jump onto a new Sportage now like the current model because 
that's going to look dated, right? And therefore, its resale value will take a hit as soon as we get news of the new one and as the launch of the new one becomes imminent and it's a real thing in the marketplace, the value of existing shaped, styled sportages will get less and less over time. So I hope that helps you make a sort of informed planning decision about the replacement of that Sorrento. Um, let's move on to a couple of other questions here. Um, the Movement Group, how much better will the upcoming Santa Fe be than the newly released Kia Sorento? And to that, I would suggest it's like um, tomato, tomato, dude, like same platform. The couple of, there might be a couple of differences. I think there might be a difference in, at least there might be a choice in the availability of the V6 engines. And Hyundai Motor Group also has a 2.5 turbo engine that I think would be a better fit in that vehicle than the V6. And perhaps the product planners locally in Australia can convince HMG to fit the 2.5T inline four-cylinder engine in place of the V6, and I think that would be a real step up. It'd also be nice if they had all-wheel drive with that, because currently you can't get all-wheel drive with a V6 engine in either Sorento or Santa Fe, so there's that. And there's also this mini debacle, you know, storm in a teacup over the tow bar capacity on the new Sorento because they were spruiking two and a half tons right and now that it's been launched it's two tons right and to me two tons is the Goldilocks maximum for a vehicle like that I'm sure the powertrain can cope with two and a half but the bottom line there at least to me is that the tow bar is holding that vehicle back and it would be a competitive edge for Hyundai's product planners to come up with a tow bar that matches the rest of the platform and delivers a tow rating of two and a half tonnes. Now, I'm not sure I'd want to tow two and a half tonnes, my largest possible acoustically transparent chitois across the great Australian outback from dingo piss stench to dingo piss stench. Yes, from busted ass cattle scrub to desert and back. How we roll through all of those poisonous animals and the, the ones that can consume your whole. Yeah, I'm not sure. The crocodile, for example. Love a good saltwater crocodile. Right next to my campsite. Yes. Anyway, it would be a competitive edge, wouldn't it? So that might be nice. But everything else is just going to be hair and makeup, dude. So new Sorrento is essentially upcoming new Santa Fe and the only difference is going to be blonde or brunette, chocolate or strawberry, things of that nature. Correct answers, respectively, blonde and chocolate. And if you don't agree with that, then I really don't want to talk to you anymore. It's really that simple. Um, Nuran says, hi, John, where's my Kia Cerato GT? Bought mid-August and getting the runaround from the dealer. Well, dude, I'd have to say that it's probably likely that there's nothing nefarious going on down there with the dealer. You're probably just waiting for the new car like a bunch of other people in your position. If you bought that in mid-August, mid-September, coming up for mid-October now, eight weeks Dude, you might be waiting 12 weeks for that and there's really nothing you can do. It's not like there's it's not like there's a bigger stick you can bring out and wield, bring to bear if you're up against the facts. You know, and I think you're just up against the facts. COVID-19 has been shit. It has made Australia more shit, which is why I invented 2020 FO after all. But not even that can bring a delayed Serato GT to life, but I would have to say though, nice choice. 
Serato GT i30 N-Line, awesome real-world I wouldn't call them performance cars, but I'd say they're real driver's cars, real mainstream cars for drivers. Very satisfying to drive indeed, and also great value. Um, Paul HD. Hi, John. You recently had a segment on towing with your Hyundai Santa Fe with that tow load. That was a two-ton load. Would you consider the 2021 Santa Fe for the same application if it had the DCT like the new Sorento? That's a very good point as well. Okay, the new 8-speed DCT is tremendously impressive in that Sorento. And I can't obviously comment on its in-service durability because the car's been in the market for a month, dude. You know, like, come on, I'd love to be that clairvoyant. But if I was, I'd, I'd have a bigger job. I'd be predicting the lotto numbers left, right and centre, wouldn't I? The, the bottom line is, DCTs have always been emphatically shit at things like low-speed manoeuvring. This new DCT is really nice at that. You know, it's got some mad computer voodoo going on and some mad augmentation of the automated clutch packs, frankly. It's really impressive. And I strongly believe that 95% of people who... Uh, drive that car with a new 8-speed DCT, they're not going to know that it's not a conventional automatic. As for durability, that's a guess, you know, but I have had some off-the-record planning-type conversations with the planning guys at both Hyundai and at Kia, and my sense of that, you know, without breaking any um, journalistic uh, confidences that I've entered into there, my sense of that is that they have a high degree of internal confidence on the durability of that transmission for towing two and a half tons right and there's going to be therefore egg on the face for some fairly highly qualified and in my estimation credible dudes if that does not actually happen in the marketplace and they'll have to scramble to pick up the pieces but yeah i'd suggest at this stage the smart money says there's no reason to believe that that transmission will not be at least as durable as the epicyclic auto, the conventional automatic that it replaces. So I hope that helps. Obviously, I can't be definitive. I'd be a bullshitter from hell if I was, you know, making it up here and going, yeah, mate, she'll be right. But every indication is that it will be right. But time will tell as with this as with so many other things. Um, ben Jacks now, I do... I do like a Ben Jacker. Sorry, I do like someone who uses almost their real name. What an anomaly in the comments feed. I don't get this thing about, you know, not using your real name. Unless you want to be a, you know, dead set asshole and say some really unpalatable things. What's so wrong with standing behind your name? In other words, attributing what you say to your name, right? So 13 points out of a possible 10 there, Ben. And if only I can find your... Um, your comment, I'll like read it out during this live stream, like the professional I am. Yes. Ben says, I just seen, I just seen, that's that Australian education, isn't it, Ben? I just seen the Mitsubishi ad, A-double-D, pro tip. There's only one D in ad, meaning advertisement, dude. Anywho, for their 10-year warranty, have you got an update from the ACCC? No decision there yet, but it will be interesting, won't it? Because I, I really do think this is uh, a grubby little attack on legislation to do with 
exclusive dealing, you know, and whenever anyone in corporate land says, we're putting you in control, putting you back in control, they know they've got you by the shoulders and you're going over the counter. And the only question is knees or ankles, lube or not, right? Metaphorically, metaphorically. So how are you going? Are you enjoying this kind of format, this live stream? I am. I like answering these questions off the bat. It reminds me of all of those uh, motoring segments I've done on Radio 2UE for bloody donkey's years and then the general talk back. You never know what's coming and I love that kind of spontaneity and it is absolutely a test. The, the, the pro tip there is if you're ever doing it and you don't know the answer, don't bullshit because someone out there in viewer land they know the answer, right? And they're going to pick you up on it and they're certainly going to call you on it. So if you don't know the answer, just say, hey, good question, dude. Don't know. Um, AK says, named after the famous machine gun, obviously, what do you think of Suzuki Swifts? Do you think they are good value? Is the one litre turbo reliable? Okay, what do I think of Suzuki Swifts? They're okay. Like, Suzuki's an okay brand. It's not shit, and it's not at the top. It's kind of in the middle, right? It could be better. It's Japanese, you know, and they were once a lot better than they are now, but I just get the feeling like Suzuki's not trying very hard in Australia, and they do have a problem with sales volume, and sales volume matters because sales volume relates to how many dealers are viable, and number of dealers relates to how many dealers you can go around and um, bargain against each other to get a discount, and it also pertains to servicing because you can say, dude, how much to service my car? How much for the standard annual service on my car, the two-year service? How much? And you can ring them and go, how much? And ring them and go, how much? And go with the cheapest one, right? Like, shop around. And if the sales volumes are small, then you don't get the same bargaining flexibility. There's like one dealer or pack a cut lunch, right, for servicing and also for visiting the showroom floor and going through that horrible experience of buying a car, looking at the clock up on the wall, bullshit o'clock all the time, continuously locked there, right? The, um, the one-litre engine is an absolute corker. I really like those three-litre one... Uh, those three-cylinder, one-litre engines, and turbocharging, right? Turbocharging just rocks because turbocharging is the same sort of thing in terms of absolute power, like maximum power, as adding about 50% worth of displacement. But it's baggage that you don't have to carry around, right? It's, it's like artificial displacement, so you're not carrying around a great deal of extra metal. And the other thing, when you add a turbo and direct injection to a car, you also really boost its capacity for mid-range power delivery, like low RPM and middle RPM power delivery, which really does improve the drive experience when you just, you know... Driving normally, excuse me, like the rest of us drive, you know, 90% of the time when we're not up for the rent. So for all these reasons, you know, Suzuki's kind of average, three-cylinder engines rock, three-cylinder turbocharged engines really rock. So, hey, I'm a fan of them generally. Kieran Clifford, a real name dude. He says, yes. He says, hey, John, loving it. Yes. Thank you, Kieran. That's very kind. Uh, any goss on Holden and how the dealers are handling being bent over the desk? Well, I think that's all done and dusted now, although there was a wrinkle about that that I read the other day. There was a story in MotorOne.com, of all places, over in Retardistan, America. I do love a good Retardistan. I love America. 
And I say that in the same way that I call this joint Shitsville. You know, everything's got to have a name. It's the Australian way, isn't it? Come on. So the story in Motor One was that the pre-order deposits on the megabuck Corvette that's like a billion bucks or something. You know, the new generation Corvette that looks like a GM supercar. So it's the supercar that falls apart, basically, but goes really, really fast right up until that happens. Well, all these Holden dealers, okay, they're taking, uh, they have taken pre-order deposits on the new Corvette and then they've been upended by, you know, the demise of Holden. And then Holden's done the whole Phoenix rising from the friggin' ashes thing, okay? And the Phoenix is GM Special Vehicles Shitsville, okay? And it turns out that they've, they've just imported some sheep shagger to run GM Special Vehicles Shitsville and... <laughs> Not the deposits for the Corvette that all these rich wankers have paid may not be valid, okay? Because the dealers who've been boned as Holden dealers and just the dealers who remain as Holden dealers may not actually be GM special vehicle Shitsville dealers. So they've accepted these deposits, then they've been upended, and now they might have to give them back because they won't be given the imprimatur to sell the Corvette when it finally gets here. So just when you thought the tsunami of cluster fuckage that flows from the demise of Holden could get no more bizarre or could, could continue no further, it had been absolutely exhausted, then I'm here to tell you that, hey, still happening and essentially anything is possible. But no, I don't think those dealers are very happy. The ones who remain uh, dealers for Holden Parts and Servicing, of course. I think they're going to do whatever they can to bend over the owners of existing in-service Holdens as enthusiastically as they possibly can. <laughs> yes, the dealer way. Who have we got now? Boy Goodger. Boy Goodger. I don't know why anyone would choose that name. Without a Glock at your head, why would you choose that name? Boy Goodger says, one thing I haven't got a handle on... After a couple of years of watching your content, you're looking forward to Bathurst this weekend? No, dude. Like, come on. Here's the thing, okay? I fell in love with cars when I was about, I don't know, one or two years old, right? And then I just became a complete car pervert for the whole time, you know? And then I made this huge tactical era like I became an engineer because I loved cars and then I became a motoring journalist because I loved cars and when you do that when you turn your hobby when you turn your passion into your job it really does take some of that you know leg humping enthusiasm away from it so no I'm not going to do that and it's almost like the whole YouTube thing like I've always loved um after the love of cars is the love of cameras. And then I got addicted to um, video production like cinematography and how that all goes together because that is like playing three-dimensional chess in the dark because there's all the technicalities and then there's all the intangibles like art. Anyway, you turn that into your sort of second vocation and, you know, you find yourself sitting here on your ass at 8.24.44 on Thursday, the 15th of October, year of our Lord Anno Domini 2020 of O. And, you know, normal people don't do this. It takes some of the gloss off. 
you know? I don't want to pick up a camera and take, I don't know, photographs of the grandkids. Not that I have grandkids yet, but when I, when I do, I'm going to be shooting them like this with my phone, you know? Because the alternative is to break out the dolly and get some huge sackler carbon fibre tripod and, you know, nobody needs that. So, no, I'm not going to watch Bathurst. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. And in any case, Bathurst, I mean, what an irrelevant race series. You've got cars with no cut through. I liked it in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, you know, when the cars that were actually circulating on the track bore some relevance to the cars that you could actually buy, even though they got more and more heavily modified. They were at least the sheet metal that you could buy and they were based on engines that you could buy and... When Jim Richards famously won uh, that year in the Skyline GTR and the crowd, you know, booed him and gave him the finger so uh, memorably and he looked down and he said to them, you're all a pack of assholes." To me, that was absolutely the peak of Bathurst, you know. That was back when people in those kinds of public positions could say what they actually think, you know? So hashtag respect. And they called him Gentleman Jim. So you know how riled up he had to be to um, to actually call the crowd a pack of assholes because he would be a tolerant chap. I met him several times and the, the, the two things that stood out for me about Jim Richards, if you remember him, was that, number one, he's such a polite, low-key dude, you know, for someone who could just pile it on on the racetrack and be so competitive and so like this so low-key in real life you know and then the other thing is I sat in the passenger seat for several laps of Eastern Creek or Iron Park I forget anyway um we're measuring the performance on some dodgy wheels handling test anyway and Jim was the driver and his hands were so slow you know I just I couldn't believe that the car was going that fast and yet he was like on treacle, moving like this. And the car was, you know, like Neo on the rooftop in the Matrix. So he was like, anyway, just amazing. And that's, that sort of experience taught me one thing. It's like no matter how good you think you are as a driver, no matter how you always have fancied yourself and you've taught yourself everything you possibly could about driving and had all these opportunities that many people don't get on racetracks, when you meet somebody like that with the weird programming, you know, they've got the special software, you're at 2.1 and they're running 10.4. And there's no way that even with, you know, a million years worth of practice, you could ever be them. And I've had all these kinds of chats with all these great drivers like uh, Ed Ordinsky, the rally champion, and Possum Born, the late Possum Born, the great rally driver, and uh, Jensen Button, a Formula One driver, Mark Webber, Australian legend, obviously. And they're all like that. They can't tell you how they do it, but baby, can they do it? And you could analyze what they do, you know, you could break it down, but they're just freaks. It's like that. It's like, it's like Tiger Woods would be a shit golf teacher right but he's an awesome player it, it's kind of that so anyway um that, that was a bit of a diversion down one fork in the road wasn't it where we're coming up for nearly an hour but uh, look i'm happy to crack on if you are so we could we could go for another quarter of an hour or something like that until my voice completely gives out on me and um if you like, we'll make it a regular thing. We'll do it every Thursday night and you can tsunami the shit out of me with your comments, which just, they never stop. So thank you very much for that. And hey, does that not just relieve a little bit of 
pre-planning. I could just say, hey, go on live tonight. And then you can ask me all these questions and I can do bugger all planning. But of course, if you all collude behind the scenes and don't join the chat, then I'm just going to look like a dick and the, uh, the live stream will go for about five minutes. So there's that. Um, Jacob C says, would you still recommend the Triton given that the Super Select 2 transfer case is only available on the dual cab and I am looking at getting an extended cab? Yeah, that's, that's a really curly one, Jacob. See, one of my favorite things about the Triton is Super Select 2. And if you're wondering what the F I'm talking about, it's, okay, transfer case in dual cab Tritons, GLSs and GSRs, things of that nature. Not GLX, I think, but anyway, GLS and GSR, excuse me, GSR. They've got this mode where you can select four-wheel drive, high-range, center diff unlocked my favorite mode because you can drive on a high traction surface like that with the center diff unlock of course the front and rear prop shafts can turn at different rates which is kind of important when you're going around a bend because the front half of the car uh, travels on a slightly different path than the rear half the radii are different therefore the ro speeds of rotation of the front and rear prop shafts are different and if you try and do something, I don't know, outrageous, like uh, a U-turn, then the speed of rotation of the prop shafts is dramatically different. And if the center diff is locked, obviously the prop shafts are locked together. And this is a really challenging position for the drivetrain to be in because it places a great deal of stress on the drivetrain and one end of the car will sort of skip and bitch and moan and complain its way around because it's being forced to turn at a rate at which it does not want to turn. And this places tremendous stress on driveline components. Ultimately, it will break them. So if you've got a conventional four-wheel drive, do not select 4H because effectively, even if it doesn't have a center diff, those two prop shafts will be synchronously engaged and you'll break something. Okay, so good pro tip, don't do that. Don't do it on good dirt. You know, if you're on a good dirt, high traction dirt road, driving for hours in the outback, you've got your acoustically trans uh, uh, acoustically transparent portable shitter, you're taking it from scenic this to dingo piss that. Don't drive like that in 4H because you could break the transmission and you'll be stuck in the middle of nowhere. Nobody wants that. So the big thing about Super Select 2 is 4H center diff unlocked. That's one of two 4H modes. The next mode is 4H center diff locked. Don't select that with the, um, don't select that on a high traction surface. That's really a disaster. Okay. So uh, from the point of view of buying a Triton without that, without Super Select 2 and going back to 2H, 4H and 4L and 4H is not the kind you can use on a high traction surface, then for me a lot of the gloss comes off Triton if you do that. It's still pretty good value, it's still a bit of a workhorse, uh, you get obviously with the extended cab you get a little bit more tray length to play with so that's good. It's also good from a load point of view, you can position more heavy stuff more central like forward of the rear axle and that <laughs> that's good for the non-banana armorization of the chassis you don't want to do that to the chassis that's always bad by putting a really heavy load out the back so it's good for that but i'd really like mitsubishi to bite the bullet and build every triton with the super select 2 transfer case because that would be a winner and obviously the reason they don't is just cost 
you know, lots of youths get bought by businesses and a hundred bucks will obvi- will often skew the sale from this brand to that brand, you know. It's very price sensitive out there and they could certainly fit Super Select 2 to every Triton, but hey, it's a commercial decision and I don't see them changing that anytime soon. Moving on. Adam Newell has just asked me, will you be test driving the new iPad 30? Should I buy one now? You deal. The new iPad 30, I suggest that's probably an autocorrect fail. The new iPad 30. I don't have any business testing that. But the new i30 from Hyundai, I will, yeah, I'll make it my business to test that. I'm also red hot on having a crack on the i30, uh, sorry, the i20N, which was just announced over the past couple of weeks. You know, if it is to i20, what i30N is to i30, then, ladies and gentlemen, what a pocket rocket. And just ballparking, what's it going to be? Early 30s, mid 30s, something like that. What a winner. Looking forward to that. Anything that Albert Bierman touches is pretty good. He's the uh, product planning, uh, research and development centre boss out there now, former head of the BMW M division and the dude who was responsible for the i30N, which is just such an awesome car in so many ways. I mean, his imprimatur is what makes that car what it is, the unkillable brakes, things of that nature, right? Without Beerman, it wouldn't have been that sort of car. I don't even know if they would have done it. So there's that. Michael Santier, I hope I'm not mangling that, says, what would be the best buy, a Yaris hatchback 2019 made by Toyota in Francais or the Yaris hatchback 2020 made by, the Yaris hatchback made by Mazda? I don't know of a Yaris made by Mazda. That's a new one on me. So I'm going to take the fifth on that. I don't know. And if I give you an answer, I'm going to incriminate myself. So sorry, I can't help you there, dude. Uh, Joseph Rowe says the Hilux is the only ute or pickup truck that is currently sold in Japan. They don't have the D-Max, BT-50, Triton and Navara. I did not know that. That's interesting. The other kind of interesting thing for a lot of people about these utes, right, these so-called Japanese utes, they're all made in Thailand. They, the Japanese utes never actually see the sunrise in the land of the rising sun when they you know, roll out of the factory. So that's interesting. The only one that uh, comes from somewhere else is, of course, the uh, Amarok. It's made in Argentina. You know, Amazing, isn't it? I don't know whether they're going to continue with Argentinian manufacturer on the new Amarok, which must be due sometime soon. Uh, Paul Newell now. Sorry, I just lost track of that. It is very confusing. Adam Newell. Sorry, I saw Paul up there and Adam Newell and mashed them together and had brain fade. See, this is why you should pay attention at school. Don't become a journalist because you could find yourself here. You could find yourself here, sitting on your ass in your glorified garage with a fake name, the Fat Cave, and it could be nearly quarter to nine or something, quarter to ten, whatever it is now, and you could be, you know, doing normal human stuff, and yet here I am. So do pay attention at school, kiddies. If you're sitting on Daddy's knee, you don't want this. You don't want this for yourself. And Daddy, you know what to say to little Jimmy now. Uh, Adam Newell says, love the show, John. Thank you, Adam. Have been binge watching all of it since uh, in the last four weeks and now seriously thinking of buying a i30N. But I do, but do I wait for the new model or buy the current at a lower price? Wait for the new one, dude. 
like Chuck Yeager said to me once when I asked him a question after a lecture, you know, um, he talked all about the P-51 Mustang and he became an ace flying the P-51 Mustang. And he, he, he devoted a great deal of his lecture time to talking about his World War II dogfighting exploits, which I found quite gripping, right? So I said, you must really romanticise that and you must look to any opportunity to get back in a P-51. And he said, son, it's like this. It's just like cars. The newest one's always the best. I never want to get back in a P-51 Mustang ever again. And I thought, you know what? That's, that's like emblematic of every old bald fart like me who says, I just really want a 65 fastback Mustang, you know? And no, you don't. I would retort. You just want the idea of a 65 fastback Mustang. And if you get it, dude, okay, do not take it out on the road and drive it because the magic will be destroyed. Put it in a glass box somewhere where you can just go and look at it and you can go, you know what? I got my 65 Mustang fastback. Yes. Don't drive it. It'll be shit. You know? Anywho, that's a long-winded way of saying the improvements to the new i30N, in particular, the brake improvements. And uh, I did go through a list of what those other things were. And my brain is going to mush and I can't bring them to mind. But certainly it's worthwhile waiting for the new one, I think. It'll, there'll be new, newer stuff. Lighter forged wheels is one of them. Newer seats, which they talk about being lighter, but they're only two kilos lighter. But the wheels themselves are 14 kilos lighter. And that's all off the sprung, the unsprung mass. So it's going to make a big difference. And the brake endurance is up, even though, you know, on a public road, you will never kill the brakes on an I-30. And on a sort of tame race track, you will never kill the brakes on a current I-30N. I tried doing that. You know, I did 10 laps on their test track on the Central Coast. And it's got a couple of big stops, a couple of 160k an hour stops with, you know, full application. And you must get it right because there's no runoff, right? Um, so that's memorable. Uh, and I did 10 laps like that. And I'm not at and center, obviously, because A, he's dead and B, I don't have his software. But I did have a red hot crack at it and I was unable to kill those brakes. And the only difference I could say, it was a hot day too. After those uh, 10 laps, I did notice the tires went off slightly, but only slightly. So that's very impressive. But I think if you're on a big track like Eastern Creek in Sydney or somewhere else where you were nudging 200 into turn one off the end of the main straight, uh, like um, maybe Phillip Island. Phillip Island's got a couple of big moments like that. Main straight, very fast entry to turn one. And uh, there's also a couple of, one spot in particular, I forget what they call it, right around the back of the track there where you feel like if you get this wrong, you're going to go to Bass Strait. Next stop, middle of Bass Strait. I'll see an oil platform, then there'll be a splash, right? On tracks of that nature, you might be able to fade off the brakes. I don't know, but it's possible. So anyway, I'd reckon that the new one's just better. And the saving in the old one, right, you might make a saving up front, but then you're always got to look at yourself and say, finally, i got the better wheels and the better brakes and the better seats and, you know, the better whatever they put, the better other fluff that they put in it to sex it up and make it a compelling proposition, you know you're going to regret not having that. So if you're going to buy a car like that, it's a car you buy for love. Get the new one, dude. That'd be my advice. Uh, Grey Fox now. I just saw that too and it jumped all over the place. I hate it. That looked like a good question from Grey, from you too, Grey. Um, Jenny Mark. We should do a bit of non-gender bias here and give Jenny a bit of a run. Jenny says, hi, John. Love your show and reviews. 
Thank you, Jenny. I bought a Kia Sportage. Love it. Drives great. Good economy, comfortable seats and good view of the road. Thanks for your advice and did a great deal. Screwed on price. Presumably that means the dealer was screwed on price. That's what we do aim for. So well done, Jenny. It's always nice to get a bit of good, positive product feedback. I mean, obviously, I like to put my money where my mouth is with my own personal cars, which is why just out there beneath stately Chateau Schittsville and just outside the Fat Cave is a current Santa Fe and a current Triton GSR. But, you know, I can't fundamentally afford all of the cars I recommend because I'd need a much bigger shed than that. And uh, But I would have more fun. Let's put it that way. Thank you very much for that, uh, Jenny. Now, Jeff Bartlett says, help me. Would like Ute cause... I love reading this out in real time. Would like Ute with a capital U, cause, love the practical nature of them for buying crap at Bunnings, etc. However, rarely get out on the highway, so a diesel is no good to clean DPF, so assume no other option. Jeff, mate, you don't need to do that much highway driving, dude. You just don't. Like, you need to get out at 80 to, I don't know, 100 kilometres an hour for a total of... 40 minutes once a fortnight so if you have that special someone in your life that dude that dudette it doesn't have to be a romantic partner it can just be a partner of sorts a a child a teenage child or your own teenage child obviously you know in some avuncular way a teenage child i suppose um you could take them out you could go for a drive for 20 minutes on the highway you could stop at a roadside cafe and have a burger, cup of coffee, whatever, look at the view, have a big fat argument over some shit that doesn't matter, and they can tell you exactly what they think of you during this argument, and you can reciprocate, and then you can drive home at 80 to 100 kilometres an hour for 20 minutes in stony silence. Why should you be different to the rest of us, dude? Just make the effort buy a vehicle like that it's it's really not that much effort and you can you can have it all done and dusted in the privacy of your own car and they might leave you alone for the rest of the weekend do it on a saturday and you'll have the whole sunday to yourself yes up here for thinking i'd suggest although not much of that going on after nearly an hour and 20 something minutes on air um ants fam says i know your take of Volkswagen, Volkswagen, the people's car. But I would like to know your view of the Golf R 7.5 looking at buying one. Okay, so I'm going to do this completely straight without embellishing the truth at all. And uh, that's not a setup for a gag. I am actually going to do this completely straight. The Golf R is a car that I want to love, okay? It's like everything from the Volkswagen group. I want to love it because it looks good And it goes great, right? There's a lot to love about a Golf R. Like, man's not immune to the gravitational pull of shit-hot cars. Golf R is awesome, okay? The thing that holds me back is I know about Volkswagen's reliability. And frankly, not even that holds me back. Because if they were decent, I don't mean excellent. I just mean decent, as in moral compass aligned roughly to north excuse me, moral compass roughly north, okay? I'd recommend many Volkswagens, but the simple fact is I've got so much 
anecdotal evidence of Volkswagen unreasonably and unfairly bending people over when they should be assisting them because those people are customers. And being a customer means that you had enough faith in a brand to give it, in the case of an automotive brand, a big fat wad of cash for a car. And all they've got to do to maintain this relationship is look after you. And Volkswagen doesn't do that in enough cases, not in nearly enough cases. So that might be seen as harsh if you're a Volkswagen fan, but this is my reservation about owning a Volkswagen. That's just how I roll. I I can't give ethically and good conscience a recommendation to own a Volkswagen to an ordinary member of the public, a civilian of sorts, right? I can't do that because I know what might happen if something serious goes wrong, okay? And if you're a mainstream car buyer, then hey, you really don't have any obligation to understand the car industry and the dynamics of that kind of behaviour. And it is very difficult to forgive the Dieselgate scandal too, which obviously is uh, a window into the underlying ethics of that organisation at the highest level. And we're not talking 1942, we're talking 2015 and subsequently still going on. I mean, they're finally, um, they're finally charged the former chief executive, Martin Winterkorn, you know, five years later in Germany, and he's still under indictment in the United States, but will in all probability never face trial because Germany does not support the extradition of its citizens to other countries for matters such as that. So for that reason, you know, I admire the Volkswagen Golf R 7.5 from afar, but I really don't recommend you buy one. And if you love it and you have to buy one, you have to have it, then do that in an informed way, acknowledging the possibility of what can go wrong. Because then if that happens, at least you can say to yourself, you know what, this is part of what I potentially signed up for. So there's that. Um, Tone again says mainly because I was happy enough to take the punt but wouldn't wish it on anyone else. Bear in mind, I've had it since 2013 before Dieselgate and Monkeygate. I did not realise you were a Volkswagen owner, Tone. Terribly sorry to hear that. Um, I wonder how it affected the resale value. Haven't been looking at that lately. I mean, that scandal did not really affect sales in Australia nearly as much as I thought it would. They just kind of continued, like, unstoppably. I, I don't get that, but, you know... Uh, each to their own in terms of evaluating corporate performance and uh, and how you support them or not. Craig McIntosh now, another user of a seemingly real name. 13 points out of a possible 10 there, Craig. Uh, Craig says, hey, John, where's the 5 Series review, old buddy? I'm hanging out for it, bruv. This is like a window. I'm going to be completely honest with you too, Craig. Here's the thing about being a YouTuber, right? Being a one-man band. I must have, and I'm not alone because I, I saw Peter McKinnon. I don't know if you follow Peter McKinnon. He's a, he's a real, he's an outstanding YouTuber in the filmmaking space. He's outstandingly successful. He's Canadian, which you have to be if you want to be a successful vlogger in the filmmaking space. Um, and he's just, he's a guy who's made good, you know, and he deserves to make good because he's engaging and he's real and he's got something to say and he's got a high level of skill as well. So anyway, he was talking about a a tip he got from another Canadian filmmaking vlogger named uh, Gerald Undone is the name of the channel. Also very interesting. Um, 
or it might have been Caleb Pike, who I think is also a Canadian vlogger of this nature. Anyway, Caleb or Gerald said um, said to McKinnon allegedly that uh, you should never tell the audience what you plan to do because if you don't get around to it, you'll look like uh, some sort of scumbag who's not delivering. And Peter McKinnon went on to say that, you know, he's got all these projects in uh, in production, notionally in production, and what he really meant was stalled on the grid, going nowhere, okay? And I've got that too. I must have, I don't know, um, two or three dozen projects that are scripted but not recorded or half shot and not cut or half cut waiting on me to shoot other shit, you know? And something will happen, like I'll have this plan, right, and it'll be today do this and then channel nine will go and bend car advice over and take it to the abattoir and you throw the plan out the window and you've got to cobble together some package on that and you've got to get all the research together and try and make it funny and get it up today because this is when the audience is kind of interested in that issue because it's newsworthy now and then that just means that those two or three dozen things that you in the nice idea file, partly produced, they just get nudged down another day, don't they? And they get staler and staler and staler. If staler is a word, it is now because I just friggin' made it up and it's my show. Um, and, dude, that's where the five series <laughs> review is. It's also where the seven series review is. Um, I've got a couple of other reviews in production as well like that. I want to talk to – you know, I've got all these plans. I want to do a thing on uh, – Space Saver Spare Tire uh, replacement with full full-sized spare tire and considerations therein if you want to do that kind of modification, which you do, obviously, in Australia. If you want to drive a long distance in a car that comes standard with a Space Saver, I want to do a thing on mobility maximization generally with um, electric vehicles and run flats and cars with Space Saver spare tires and what's the best way to approach that and whole bunch of people are always saying to me, oh, I've got to get my wife an SUV because we're about to spit out a child and she might have trouble lifting a bub into the car, to which I would say, dude, biology has equipped you with the anatomy that's capable of lifting a child because everyone who was incapable of doing that has uh, fallen afoul of the saber-toothed tiger already and only the ones with the morphology capable of the big lift are surviving to pass on their genes so you know just go out and go to the gym and lift some heavy shit and it won't be a problem you're welcome i just saved you 40 grand i want to do videos of this nature you know and there's one of me and i can do four videos maybe five a week right and that's just the way this goes it's a it's a perverse hobby slash occupation and i'd be uh the last person in the world who could allege to you with a straight face that i'm really good at this and I've got a system in place and it works I just basically produce whatever seems right today and if that seems like flippant I'd suggest to you that's exactly how the network news functions they do exactly what they think needs a run today and maybe I'm just a product of that and uh, the spots need to change on the old bald leopard you know who knows I'd be interested to know what you think of that. Uh, Chris M says, John, what are your thoughts on Toyota releasing a limited amount of the new GR for 10 grand less than sticker price? 40 grand from 50 grand, knowing the demand will outstrip supply. Well, what I'd say generally about these kinds of 
uh, retail ploys, which is what this is. This is a retail ploy, all right? It makes you think about that car. It makes you want one. And if you want it emotionally badly enough, then you get told you can't have it, right? So you go out and you buy the next big thing, which, the next best thing, which is another Toyota for 10 grand more, right? And maybe you don't do that, but enough people will do that to make it a thing, okay? To make it commercially worthwhile. So the function of that kind of campaign is to re-energise interest in the vehicle. And they know that demand's going to outstrip supply and inevitably that will just result in consequential knock-on sales, which is exactly uh, what they want. Not what you want, I know, but it's exactly what they want. So they're willing to cop the 10 grand loss, uh, as it were, uh, the 10 grand hit at least in retail price for a limited number to sell more vehicles. I've got another woman here, or perhaps it's a man named Beth, like Johnny Cash and the boy named Sue, right? Anyway, this is Beth Tender. Sounds like a fake name. Might not be. Mr. and Mrs. Tender. Bet they can fight. Anyway, uh, Beth says, this is a retail ploy. Hashtag Cadogan for PM. I already told you dudes, I don't want to be PM. What a crap job. Grant Horton, same here in New Zealand on Volkswagen. I've asked a few new owners and the answer is either don't know or doesn't affect me, so I don't care. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me is a big thing, isn't it? There's no sort of sense of shared ethics or shared ethical dimension. It was very interesting at the start of the pandemic when the news crews went out and Vox popped a whole bunch of people on Bondi Beach in Sydney and a bunch of young people said um, who were interviewed. And obviously this is skewed, okay, because you can Vox pop a whole bunch of people and you can Vox pop the shit out of hundreds of people and just select the three grabs you want so it may not be representative of the community's views broadly but it'll be emblematic of a point that the news is trying to push but what they did was they got a sufficient number of vox pops from young people to present the view that hey COVID-19 only kills old people. We're young, so we don't see the risk as being a thing for us. We're sitting at our cafe, having our coffee, drinking our schooner, whatever. So there's that. It may just be a window into the human soul. This might be who we are deep down, all in it for ourselves. Certainly in it for yourself is a thing. Like It's a thing, at least in part, for all of us, but surely you need to uh, draw a bit of a balance if you want to have a worthwhile life, I'd suggest. Joseph Rowe says, I've learned that the Japan and Korea car brands are the best running trustworthy vehicles since European brands and many American ones aren't the best rated by reviewers. I'd suggest that American brands have a great deal of sex appeal in the muscle car domain. Uh, European brands have a great deal of cachet in the sex appeal domain, the aspirational you know, domain like, look at me, I've made it, I've got my three-pronged suppository. <laughs> Yes. And it's all good until that car betrays you and then they betray you back. Uh, but, you know, I'd really suggest that Japan and South Korea are kicking serious ass in the mainstream because they've got the reliability thing down pat. And many of the brands, uh, notably Toyota, Lexus, Subaru, Hyundai, Kia, and let's face it, 
four of those five that I just mentioned are in the top 10. Mazda's not bad at customer support either, really. They're all pretty good at support and they're decent at reliability. And if you've got that, then you really are covered. You know, as long as the car drives all right and has the features that you need, if you're a mainstream car buyer, that's what you need. You need reasonable reliability and excellent support. And frankly, these days, this is why I don't rabbit on about you know, dynamics, handling dynamics too much in reviews of cars like Sorento's, for example. It's because average drivers of Sorento's don't want to set the lap record. You know, they just want a car that handles and rides reasonably well. So to the extent that they're not really aware of any deficiency, you know, that's kind of the acid test. In a car like an i30N, absolutely, you want to dissect its dynamic performance, you know, but because it's a performance car and you have to love that shit to buy one. But, you know, in this mainstream segment, you want reasonable performance and all the required features. A bit of surprise and delight's not bad. Polished appearance, also not bad. Then you want reasonable reliability and excellent support. And I'd suggest in particular Toyota, Lexus, in no particular order, Subaru, Hyundai, Kia, and to an extent Mazda. They all offer those things. You know, and Mazda's slight deficiency vis-a-vis the other five is in that support domain. And the court case that the ACCC is uh, uh, running against Mazda must be playing out pretty soon. So we'll see whether they are actually guilty of unconscionable conduct or not. Now, it's coming up for 10pm on a Thursday night and I, I don't have anywhere to go or people to see or anything of that nature, but we have been doing this, it strikes me, for about 90 minutes and uh, my voice is caving in and uh, my brain is turning progressively to mush and I don't want to disappoint you at this late stage. So what I do want to do is say thank you sincerely for sticking with me for some or all of this live stream. It's been emotional for me and uh, hopefully it's been somewhat emotional from you. Emotional, of course, comes from the, the Latin verb, emovia meaning to move. I bet you did not know that. So I hope this has moved you in some respects, although hopefully not down there. Um, We'll do it again next Thursday, if you like, 8.30, same bat time, same bat channel, same fat cave, and bring your questions in the chat, and I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I don't regret preparing all of this crap at all, but it's been much better, I think, going with all of this material that you're just throwing at me. And I, I really do sincerely uh, appreciate your uh, participation in the live stream. It's, uh, I'm humbled by the number of you who've taken part, and I really do appreciate your support. And I'll catch up with you in this somewhat vicarious way next week, and there'll be obviously pre-recorded packages as usual on the channel uploaded over coming days as well so thank you very much and i will speak to you soon i'm out of here